Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 221 of Final Fantasy Union. I am your host, Daryl, and I'm here with Lauren. Hi, everyone. It's now been a couple of weeks since the 7 remake came out. Lauren, how are you feeling? I'm feeling amazing. I think, um, yeah. I mean, it's nice. I'm actually playing through the game on Twitch, on uh, our Twitch channel, which is Lazadar. And um, I'm really enjoying it. Like, I enjoyed watching it over your shoulder, but now actually playing it, like, I'm really getting sucked in. And yeah, I just, I genuinely find it to be a great game. We're at very different stages in our Final Fantasy VII Remake lives. Mm. So you are, where are you now? You're about chapter 10, I think you are? uh 11 because remember i 11. made the joke about 11 11 um and i've finished the game now on hard as well i haven't gone for the platinum trophy mm. i don't know how many of you people how many of you people how many of you how many of you guys that are listening now have made the same decision but i really cannot be bothered <laughs> to get all the dresses it's just <laughs> such a time sink and it's just not worth it it's yeah. the only trophy i have left and I think it's going to stay that way. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Like, I I get really bummed out about trophies because, I mean, well, one, as a parent, it's nearly impossible to find the time to get all of the trophies for most games. But also, like, you get to a point in the game where you feel like you've accomplished all that you want to accomplish. And, like, having that extra trophy just glaring at you like judging you i just can't deal with that it's the only trophy that i felt served no purpose Mm. like every other trophy that i got throughout my playthrough it felt like i'd achieved something Mm -hmm. but by getting all of the dresses i don't feel like i would have achieved anything other than wasting my time seeing the prettiness of Aerith in other but it's also crazy that that's like the trophy i feel like Mm. that's the trophy that's gonna take people the longest i know that's Mm. technically not true because getting through hard mode obviously takes longer (laughs) yeah but it just feels like for a single action Mm. it just feels like a bit of a waste i don't know you have to do so much it just it just feels like it's just not part of the same trophy set compared Mm. to the rest like there's no other trophies that are like that one Mm -hmm. um so it's just i don't know it's a bit strange yeah but either way um i loved it i loved the game aside from that trophy yeah yeah it's ruined the entire experience for me experience done over square enix if you're listening don't put another trophy like that in (laughs) the next part please yes just don't do do. it okay so yeah so actually our our main discussion today is about the seven remake yes we're still talking about it i know shocking but it is a news podcast because the final fantasy seven remake ultimania has been released in japan Mm. And we are going to be running through some of the interviews that are featured in the back of it. It's going to be very spoiler free, though. We are going to be not talking at all about any of the the craziness that they reveal or they discuss within the interviews. And we're not going to be talking about any of the other information that's being disclosed. We are literally going to be talking about anything that had to do with the formation of the game and what's in store for us in the future with the next part. Mm. Spoiler free as spoiler free as we can be i'm just going to retain this is very much spoiler free so Mm. don't worry too much if you haven't finished the game or you haven't bought the game yet it's not gonna it should not (laughs) hinder your experience or make you enjoy it any less when it comes out Mm. before we get on to that lovely discussion though 
we have to do our Patreon shoutouts, Lauren. <laughs> and I'm going to let you start this time. All right. I will start with Chris Morales. Michael Graham. Barry Norton at Nortron Zero. Thorin Bullen at Massacre 23. Fayaz Bilal. Lewis James. Zach Duranto. Rachel Casterton at Obeyon Ray. Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels. Darren Matthews at Doomster 73. Joseph Robertson at Pokemon Trainer J. Ryzen. Alex and Rachel Troutman at Akira Namejin. Billy Jackson at underscore Billy Jackson. Miles Ribbons. Chris Pope at Dr. Pop 181. Freya Stella. Flip Sadness. Tom Hughes at Tom underscore Hughes 22. Yam Potato. Noah Luttrell. Mitch Elliott. And Sam Ennis. And Sam Ennis is actually a new Patreon supporter for this episode, as well as Jared Brayland. And I've had a wonderful time talking to them about everything they love about the franchise and what's been going on recently. It's been it's been lovely. Oh, thank you guys thanks so much. Thanks for the much. conversations, guys. Yes, thank you. And thanks for the support. I also want to say that if you, you probably won't hear any kind of difference whatsoever. I will when I'm editing it. <laughs> but we now have, for the first time, we've been podcasting for like 10 years now. Plus, mm. we've been doing so with two like stand, like, I don't know, they're about a foot tall. Mm-hmm. And they're just freestanding microphones that sit on a desk, which... You probably could like maim someone with they are <laughs> hench. Yeah. Um, but we have actually bought some arms, microphone arms, mm. and we how now have a bit of desk space. But the biggest thing for me is that Lauren can move around while talking and she will not keep fading in and out of the microphone. We hope. We hope. We she hope. can move the microphone as she moves. It will be connected to her. It's so exciting. And it's also much better for our posture. Yes. Like, that's the thing. Like, when I've been doing the podcast in the past, I've always complained about the fact that it's extremely uncomfortable to be bending forward the whole time. And so when I got the arm, I was just like, yes, yes. But it did take a lot of convincing. I don't know why. Daryl Daryl is very resistant to change. So, uh, yeah, so we've made that change despite my resistance, mm-hmm. even though that's one of my favorite franchises from the PlayStation 3 era. Good job, Dennis. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we are now living the dream. <laughs> it's amazing. We're using it on our streams as well. It's just, it's amazing. I'm really liking the um, the the space. Though. And also the fact that we don't have to worry about our kids Knocking pulling the themselves. microphone stands off the table oh and hurting themselves considerably. The amount of times where I was just like, Ali, Lizzie, please stop, stop. But granted, it did take us a while to find a place to put them after we took them apart. Um, they they still went after the stands and tried to beat each other with it. They did. And themselves. Um, but yeah, no. But yes, with that out of the way, thank you again for all your support. It's your support that has enabled us to get the microphone arms. So yes, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Okay, so now on to our seven remake ultimate discussion, which I will again repeat is spoiler free. <laughs> we'll be just we will be discussing nothing related to the story or the characters. And before I go any further, I want to say a huge thank you to Audrey, aka uh, Itai Kimochi. I think it's how you say it, on Twitter. She's been doing translations like a fiend. I know there are, have been other people doing translations too, but hers are the ones that have got the most prominence. And she's also posted up huge information about all the interviews on her Tumblr. And um, yeah, so the first thing that we're going to run through is actually the Ultimanias themselves, because when we were talking about when this whole the whole thing was happening, it really highlighted something that is 
it shouldn't really be the case, mm-hmm. right? And I, I guess you're probably the best person to talk about like why the Ultimanias are great, but they also come with an issue. Yes, the fact that it's Japanese only. Yeah. Like, it'd be fine if this was like just a sort of, you know, celebratory piece. Like, it just sort of said, yay, it's released. Here's all the cool things about it. Yay. But, like, stuff that we would already sort of know. It was just like a celebration. But this is, like, new information, interviews with the creators, important information that may even change the way you look at the stories and it's always been this way where it's been Japanese only and I've never really fully understood it especially now because they've wanted so badly to make this game appeal to western audience but they hold us at an arm's length it makes no sense yeah, that's the thing that I think really bums me out about the whole thing because essentially the Ultimanias, like they have done in the past different Ultimanias. So, for example, Final Fantasy X had an Ultimania for the scenario where they were just talking more detail about the scenario. They had one for battle. They are essentially extended guidebooks. And of course, in the West, we have our own guidebooks too, but they never really contain anything with the creators. Sometimes they have misinformation in them. And I think, yeah, the point you made about it being they're trying to go for a global audience with this like if you look at the sales of final fantasy since seven i think it's been the majority western sales i think like the japanese sales are maybe a third of the sales if that now and the fact that they they still continue to do this is it's kind of i don't know i don't want to say offensive but it's just disappointing i guess that mm. they they can't be bothered to put the investment in to produce something like this in english or french or spanish or german because it can't be that costly for them to do so i'm sure they could just find someone to do it like they they did the um the anniversary ultimanius which they released in the west five years after the um the the japanese ones came out what dark horse did it why don't they just ask dark horse to work with studio bent staff on the ultimanias and just release the ultimanias in the west at around the same time like they can release these games at the same time globally mm-hmm. that's a much bigger undertaking yeah. they can't release a book yeah and like i guess the other thing with it is just the fact that like i guess the other perspective of it is that like if they did actually translate these officially and release them in the west how much more promotion it would get for the game because you'd have all these articles about what they're saying in the artic- in the interviews in the Ultimania. Like at the moment, they've basically given control to the people on Twitter who are able to translate it, which is absolutely fair enough. Like, I mean, I really appreciate the people on Twitter who are translating the Ultimania pages for us. But like, you know, thinking about Square Enix and how tight they are on some things why are they not tight about this yeah because one of the things i've been seeing coming out of it is that you know there's the whole fan base associated to different characters Mm. and you know japanese is a language that has a lot of different interpretations with the way that you translate it and some people have been translating things in favor of certain characters from a story perspective because it changes the perception of how you're viewing these characters And at the moment, there's no real quality control on any of the translations that are coming through. I think people are just having to assume that what they're seeing is correct. 
But I don't know if many of the people that are translating these things on Twitter are full-time translators. It's mm. like, it's not their job or anything. So like, it's just this weird situation where, and I think it's probably more pronounced with this game than anyone, any game prior, because Final Fantasy XV Tabata was very, very transparent with a lot of things. So there wasn't really much additional stuff that needed to be found out. And I don't think the Ultimanians really included anything that, that, that was that um, like secretive or anything like that. And the the older ones, like 10 and like 12, like they had so much stuff hidden, like nine as well. They had so much stuff hidden within those guidebooks Eight. that we never had in the West. Mm. And like you have to try and go through them with a fine tooth comb. Like you're talking about timelines to the games, like backstory for characters that just isn't in the games themselves and like motivations for why they've done certain things. It's it's such a shame that this information is completely locked out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had the the 25th anniversary ones. I think it was the 25th. It may have been the 30th, but I'm pretty sure it's the 25th. Um, th- that was from like Final Fantasy one through to 14, I think it was. And you know, there's very few interviews featured within those because it was mostly about like displaying concept art and this kind of stuff. And the interviews were mostly retrospective interviews as opposed to this is why we did this and here's some really cool information like in the final fantasy 10 ultimania there was two they did the scenario ultimania i think there was the battle and then i'm saying there was two because there was a third which was the ultimania omega so those first two were kind of two parts of one and you know there's all the stuff in there about the uh, connection between seven and ten of course it's not in the game whatsoever but they're discussing it in the Ultimania. Mm. And that's where all the things about the connections came from, as opposed to anywhere else of actual substance. It's like, it's just this kind of weird situation. And I think, yeah, with them wanting to appeal to a global audience now, like they have to kind of grow up, I think, yeah. in a way, like, and just appreciate the fact that their audience is global. I really do think that Tabata was the only one of them at the moment who really appealed to a Western audience. He like, tried so hard. Like he, he went really to so many a- different countries in person. Like I remember mm. him going to like Mexico and Brazil just to say thank you for the people that bought Type Zero HD. Yeah. Yeah. Like he really got it. He really understood it. And I think that the people who are left just haven't gone with the times. And it's really depressing. Like it's just it's just sad it's sad because it's just like it's 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 just that thing you have to put your time in like if you really want this to work in the west and you want to be this crazy thing like you can't just have the numbers of the games of of sales for your game you actually have to be respectful of the people who you're selling to and i know that that i know that this whole situation sounds really entitled but it is it's just disappointing. I guess, yeah, like it, it does sound entitled in some ways, but they're talking about things which we'll go through in a little bit. Like they're talking about the next installment. And if you didn't have access to the Ultimania, you would have no idea they were even like what their plans were yeah. or like or, or any of these things. It's just a bit, yeah, it's, it's, it's in a weird way, it's kind of elitist, but it's also just weird that this barrier exists. And it's also like, it's really annoying how candid the, um, I mean, and maybe it's just because they're trying to be careful, but it's, it's really annoying how candid the Japanese staff are when it's in Japanese, but how formal they are when it's English. Like 
whenever they have to translate anything for English, like the, the behind the scenes thing for like the Square Enix YouTube, it's always like really official and really like it, we we've encountered it as well in like private interviews where it's like by the books, like I'm reading from a PR sheet. This is the only answer you're going to get. And I know that that's kind of like an industry wide problem, but it does get really just tiring. But also when you're in those private interviews, they have translators and those mm -hmm. translators are also charged with moderating what they're saying because yeah. they know that you don't know what they're saying. Yeah. So they'll give a uh, kind of watered down answer. If they say something they shouldn't say, they'll cut it out. Yeah. Like one of our friends actually knew Japanese and I forget who they were doing an interview with, but the translator basically got it completely wrong and she knows Japanese and she just said to the translator, like, no, that's not what that person just said. Like, <laughs> that that's completely wrong. And granted, I, I can't even fathom how difficult it is to be a translator and how much pressure it is to, like, be a translator and also kind of keep yourself, like, edited so that you don't accidentally completely ruin the promotional campaign for a game. Yeah, because if they do say the wrong thing. Yeah, which happened really to bad. me, like mm. the translator I was working with uh, when I was interviewing Kataze and Toriyama said the wrong name of a person yeah. and like it came... We got lambasted. Yeah, we got lambasted because, but that's what they said. But that's why it's all the more important that like if you are doing these kind of printed things that you should you should have them translated for the rest of the world so that we don't have to yeah. guess. I mean, they have their own internal localization team. Mm. Like, use them yeah anyway so that's enough griping about the ultimania because in reality the ultimania is a fantastic source of information it really is it's just a shame that we don't have access to that information unless we speak japanese or have to rely on people that do yeah but so, as much as we want to learn japanese ourselves we are going to focus on the small portion of the ultimania guidebook that is focused around interviewing uh, nomura uh, kitaze and nojima and the we're going to split we, i think it's like seven or eight parts we're going to cut it down into just three i think it's three mm -hmm. <laughs> i presume it's three. yes three <laughs> we're going to cut down to three so the first part is the inception and when we're talking about why we're kind of like a bit perturbed about it it's because of stuff like this right so they the first thing they talk about is the fact that the remake internally at square enix is considered the fifth part of the compilation of final fantasy 7 that is a pretty big deal. It's, it's, it's a fundamental shift in how you view the project. Mm. So, yeah, it, in their view, you've got Advent Children Before Crisis, Crisis Core, Dirge of Cerberus. The 7 remake is the fifth game after Dirge of Cerberus. Mm. And, so they're, and, and they're, they're saying it's the fifth game because they always plan, they wanted to do this game after Dirge of Cerberus. It was always intended that that, that would be the, the fifth game that would round it out. And we talked about it before on the podcast many years ago, how this I had this notion of endless crisis, mm -hmm. that this, there was, this thing was going to exist. And, you know, this confirms that they were planning to do that fifth game. Now, it maybe hasn't turned out in the way they thought it was. I think the much of the speculations it was going to be about Genesis because of the ending of Dirge of Cerberus. But it means that they were planning to release this game theoretically before or around the release of final fantasy 13 like that it's that long ago mm. uh, but they had to shelve it because they had other commitments perhaps because of the uh 
Final Fantasy XIII's development struggles or perhaps because of Versus XIII's struggles. We know that Tabata was kind of being pulled from pillar to post around that time, working on Crisis Core. Um, I guess it was Agato, Type Zero, mm-hmm. The Third Birthday, like all these different projects and then having to support. Um, but like that is such a like it's such a crazy piece of information that's mm-hmm. just kind of just, you know, thrown out there in this <laughs> guidebook interview. Yeah, because like, I mean, that changes the entire interpretation of what the game was. And it does get a bit irritating as well, like thinking about how misleading they were about it. Like, could you imagine if they had promoted this as the fifth game in the Final Fantasy VII series instead of the remake? Yeah, because I think it would have then ostracized a large portion of people. Mm. Because if they said it was the fifth game, then the fans would have been like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. But I think they would have been much harder for them to appeal to the non-fans because it's... It is a remake, but it's also something more. Yeah. And yeah. it's just something more that always frightens people and yeah. makes them a bit worried. Yeah. It's just a shame. It's just, yeah. We can't we can't give spoilers. No. But, um, yeah. But they also said that, I know, like, you know, when they announced the uh, remake in 2015 at E3, there was the whole thing about Nomura not knowing that he was going to be the director and mm-hmm. how it was all kind of pulled together really quickly. Whereas here in the Ultimania, they're saying that actually the project started really around 2012. Mm. Around the 25th anniversary, Kataze had a conversation with uh, Nomura and Hashimoto and they said like, if we're going to do this, we should probably do it now. And so they decided, let's do it. Mm. I guess there is still room for the thing of Nomura not necessarily knowing he was going to be the director, but he definitely knew it was happening. Yeah. And it had been happening for a while. (laughs) So technically, the Final Fantasy VII remake is as old as our marriage. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's, in development as long as we've been married. It's a project that is 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 uh, eight years in the making from the point where they decided to make it. But really, it's it's about thirteen to fourteen years mm. if we go back to it being a follow up to like Crisis Dirge. Core and Dirge of Cerberus, yeah. which is which is nuts. Yeah, nuts. Um, and then the next point is that they talked about CyberConnect two in a bit more detail uh, about why they made the decisions they did. And I know that we've obviously speculated about the the decisions around CyberConnect2 because it seemed very abrupt that they were working on it for a while and then they all of a sudden were not working on it, never mentioned again, and it seemed like there was this whole black cloud over mm. the company and what they did. Yeah. Uh, but they basically said that the only reason they used them was because they literally had nobody internally to work on it. But they wanted to work on it. They wanted to actually do something. They wanted to get things started. Mm-hmm. So they used CyberConnect2 as a way of freeing themselves up. Like they mm. they could just say, like, just get on with stuff. And then, you know, when people become available, we'll supplement on the project and, and maybe dial you down. But it got to the point where they realized that, I guess, CyberConnect2 were not delivering good enough stuff. So when people started becoming available, they were just like, let's just make more people available. Mm-hmm. let's just do this internally let's just improve our recruitment efforts let's just take this away and we'll just kind of take what they did say thanks but no thanks and and just cyber connect to you. goodbye mm. goodbye. <laughs> yeah. goodbye yeah and like it's interesting because nojima was talking about his part specifically they didn't talk about any other part but he was writing the main scenario 
And uh, he was writing it with scenario writers from CyberConnect 2, as opposed to anyone from Square Enix, hmm. which is a bit, like, I guess a bit weird in a, yeah. in a way. Um, and then when they were shifting people internally to work on it, that's when Toriyama came, in, came on board as the co-director of the scenario. And apparently he looked at the scenario and basically just said, this isn't very good. You need to rewrite the whole thing. Oh, my God. And uh, Nojima, I guess, upon reflection, agreed with that assessment. So they set about rewriting the whole thing. And like, it just, it just seems a bit crazy. Yeah. Uh, and Nojima was even saying like, and Kataze tried to, I guess, moderate him or downplay his comments in the interview. It's a bit weird. Um, they're saying like how he would write stuff and then Toriyama would take it. And then his team of writers would, would like just rework it all. And then uh, when it went to the voice acting uh, side, the dubbing, then it would be rewritten more. So Nojima basically said, like, when he saw the final product, he didn't really know what he'd actually written and, like, how what they'd done with it. But the general structure was still there that he wanted, mm. basically. <sighs> how they just get by without crashing and burning. But it does seem as though, yeah, like, Toriyama had a much, much bigger role to play. Because mm. if you think about like Nojima in the past, he was the person who had the final say on things. Mm. Everyone else had like ideas and then he would be the person who collated it mm. as opposed to coming up with the ideas himself. Whereas this time around, it seems like it was reversed where mm. Nojima was coming up with the ideas and then other people were doing the job that he did back when Final Fantasy VII was out and changed all those ideas and made them into something coherent mm. which is it's like this weird role reversal yeah i mean like if you've listened to the podcast before you know my feelings about nojima like i really love nojima and i think that he he excels when it comes to that i think he excels when it comes to taking people's ideas and making them coherent i don't think it's like i mean not to knock the guy for Final Fantasy 10, um, 10, 2, 10, 2. 13. Like, they weren't the greatest ones, in my opinion. Um, I wonder if it's one of those cases, because they do have this, it's one of the things that Tabata was really uh, hot on, was that people in Japan typically, well, in sorry, I guess I'm generalizing there, but people within Square Enix were being promoted into these senior roles when mm -hmm. perhaps they didn't have the right ability, or like it didn't really suit them. Yeah. And obviously, like, Nojima had great success with 7, 8, and 10. Mm -hmm. And so I guess they were like, yeah, this guy's got fantastic ideas. Let's give him the chance to, to like, come up with the concept, which obviously yeah. prior to him was, like, Sakaguchi and Kitaze and Nomura. Yeah. People like that and Toriyama who were coming up with the concepts. Whereas, yeah, like, I think that the Fabula Nova Crystallis uh, ideal, ideology and everything was, was established by Nojima. Mm-hmm. And Final Fantasy XV, of course, uh, was established by Nojima mm. before they had to rewrite it for what it ended up becoming. Yeah, it's almost like the, uh, it's what I always come back to, and Brayden's going to hate me for this, saying this, but like it's the George Lucas thing where George Lucas wasn't He was really, good at ideas. He, he wasn't that confident with like the original Star Wars because like he was allowing other people to sort of direct him in certain ways. Like Harrison Ford famously like sort of 
rewrote lines and challenged what he was saying. And other people on set, I'm guessing, probably would have done the same to just be like, no, do, do you really think that's okay? I mean, he didn't even direct the second film. And um, also he, the, the second and third film, and maybe the first, he had someone else who like edited and wrote the mm. screenplay with him. So, but when it came to the prequel series... He was given full reign to do he whatever he wanted. Full reign, right? <laughs> yeah, and everybody else had every nobody was going to question him because he wrote some of the biggest films in history, the biggest franchise in history. Um, so, like, it's almost like a case of that. Like, nobody questions anybody, and yeah, I think that they needed that with this. Um, it feels like I, it, I don't really. I, I don't know. I don't want to be too damning on the guy no. because like Kataze, he doesn't, he's in the same role that Sakaguchi used to be in, mm. but it doesn't seem as though he has the same, I don't know what the word is, but authority mm. in a way. Like it seems like he's he's there, mm. but like I feel like Sakaguchi would have been saying like, do this, do this, do this. Don't, mm. don't do that. I don't like it. Do something else. Like he he gave them like room to play with things and run around with things, but like he was still very much there. I guess it's what we've said before. It's the vision. The vision is gone. Yeah, and nobody like, really knows what the vision is for Final Fantasy anymore when Sakaguchi left. Because like Guitars is in this executive producer role, and it feels like like I could not tell you if he's influenced the work at all. Mm. Whereas if you're looking back, like the creation of Seven, even though Sakaguchi was was like doing other things at that point. There's still his mark all over the game. Mm. Like he would, he came up with the name Materia. Like he he provided a lot of the base story that they ended up using. Like it's just like with Katase, it seems like he's there in like this kind of weird guidance role, but he doesn't really want to stop them from doing anything. And like, yeah, I, I was looking at that at the the Ten Ultimania around that Seven Connection, and like. It's just like this kind of weird thing where Nojima and Toriyama are just like kind of just putting stuff out there in this interview that's official. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I don't really agree with what you're saying, though. Um, and then with Ten Two, they just kind of, which he was the executive producer on, mm -hmm. they just kind of did it anyway. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, okay, fine, you know. And like 13 as well, like he, I, I, yeah. Maybe like if I looked into it more, I could I could find stuff. But like I don't see his stamp on thirteen at all. Mm. It I just see Toriyama. Yeah. I don't see I don't see Kataze whatsoever. Yeah. Whereas yeah, like Sakaguchi, he was he didn't direct anything after four. Mm -hmm. No five. Um, like six, seven, eight, nine. He was a big part of as well, and then ten. Like y you can tell that he he influenced those games. There are like big things that he pushed. Like, six, he was still writing characters and doing stuff. And, like, you know, I know that in the Seven Remake, Itaze said that he oversaw the two reactor missions. And they're quite different from the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. But, like, like fundamental principles. I don't know what he brought to it, mm -hmm. which is just a shame. And, like, I guess in the interviews as well, he's, like, generally the person who's saying things at, at the tail end of the conversations mm -hmm. to clarify statements or he's starting things off to make sure that people are saying things on the right track. Yeah. But he's not actually adding anything to the conversation. No, no, I, I think the biggest mistake, I mean, 
like I'm saying this as like it's really bad like it's a great game like don't get me wrong like I'm not trying to be like really harping on it it's more so the direction of the game and try not to be spoilery like the direction that the game is taking I almost I don't know like I don't know what the answer is because I think like in one instance I'm sort of like I don't think that it should have been a co-directed game I don't think that Namora and Toriyama should have shared the directors. Well, as two co-directors. Yeah, that's true because there's Hamaguchi as well. Yeah, <sighs> but I guess it's just that whole like, thing. I of like, feel like you know, there is a bit, but it's the thing. It's the it's the too many cooks in the kitchen, and I feel like I feel like because of the unorganization of the ending of Final Fantasy VII remake, I just don't feel. Well, we don't know if it's organized yet until we play the next part yeah and i guess the like final fantasy 10 had a very similar thing that she had three co-directors really mm. and kataze was kind of the head honcho yeah but like i guess but that's what i was gonna that's where i was going with it was just like i wonder if kataze should have just been the director but i don't think he's allowed to be anymore and that's the weird thing because he i guess him being the director would be a downgrade because he's a mm. board member now yeah like it's just this weird thing where he's just been he's in this role now where he can't actually do the things that maybe he wants to do so then before they had to assign to someone else which is Nomura and because he's the only one that's senior enough in the company that worked on the original game so therefore that's the the thing um but like you know it's and it's like you said they're very quizzical in their interviews because there is one part is I'm gonna uh redact the spoilers but the, in relating to the ending, uh, there's a specific boss fight, um, and um, Nomura just kind of said, like, kind of blasé. It's just like, yeah, Hamaguchi just came to me like halfway through development and said, "We should have this boss fight at the end of the game." Now it doesn't make any sense from a narrative perspective. I just think it would be a really good idea. And he put a case forward, and 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 Nomura just said. I guess it was a good case because I greenlit the idea. <laughs> so it wasn't actually like Nomura's idea. And, and this is the thing that a lot of um, people have been starting to catch on to now because initially after the 7 remake came out, there was so much negativity directed towards Nomura because he's the director. He's the mm-hmm. the central figure. But I don't really know how many of the decisions he actually made mm-hmm. raising this game because it seems like Toriyama was in charge of all of the scenario. Mm-hmm. Hamaguchi was in charge of most of the gameplay with Endo. It seems like Nomura was more of a producer in terms of like he just let things happen. He, he made the final decision on things. I but mean, we see way not, more of Kitaze than we do Nomura. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't really understand the dynamic of how the leadership worked on this project. But I know that like Nomura didn't really have too much influence on the story. Mm-hmm. It was definitely Toriyama and Nojima and like there's a team of, I don't know, six or seven other script writers who wrote the story. Mm-hmm. It seems from the conversations, though, most of these questions are being answered by and Nojima. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's just strange. Anyway, we're, we're deviating too much. Yeah, no, but in, in all in all, like we do genuinely love the game, but like just... I don't know, like the the fact hearing this, like reading through this just feel makes me feel a bit a bit uneasy. I'm excited about the future, but I'm also just like I'm just uneasy. It's because of this like is Tabata had the same problem as well in terms of knowing what to say when you answer a question and and like 
because there is an interview that's come out and I, I cannot I could not find it mm. um I don't think it was in the Ultimania I think it was somewhere else where they were talking about the next part which we're going to talk about next that's our next part of this the final part and uh Toriyama was saying how he's obviously in charge of the scenario and in the with Final Fantasy 7 he was primarily involved with the Midgar segment so of course with the first part of the remake he had a lot of confidence about that segment he knows it very well Mm-hmm. but he wasn't involved in writing anything outside of that. And he said in the interview that he's going to have to go back and play the game. And it could be joking. I don't know. It's context, right? Mm-hmm. But he's going to have to go back and play the original game because he doesn't really know the rest of the story that well. Mm-hmm. But this is the guy in charge of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's no different from Kataze in the, the Inside um, 7 remake saying that, you know, um, he thought they decided to have Midgar as the first segment because they thought the segment was longer than it was. And then when they went back and played it, they realized it was a lot shorter. (laughs) So they had a bit of a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's like that kind of, it's nice that they're honest in some regards, but Mm. also it doesn't necessarily fill with, with, with too much confidence in some regards. And I guess if we are going to talk about the future, uh, Mm. let me just find, the segment in the interview about the future because yeah like Nomura said that they've got no sorry it's Kataze Kataze said they've got a, a general idea mm-hmm. for how the the story is going to play out long term which I guess would be an instant concern for you because the story is already there mm-hmm. right it's a it's a game that's already been made yeah they know the story but they haven't they've got a general idea about how the story is going to play out um they don't know how many parts it's going to be they they literally have no clue um uh and they are still having to make decisions about what they what content's going to be in each part like they they were namura was talking about how the release of the next game is going to depend on how big it is so they can divide the rough plan into larger chunks which takes longer time to develop or they can put it in smaller parts which takes less time to develop his preference is less time to develop, so smaller chunks. But we don't know what smaller chunks means, whether that's the same as what we just had or smaller. It's And this is where it's like just frustrating mm. in, a, in a way because it's like it's like half information. Mm-hmm. Katase, also, yeah, Katase just said we can't do a game every year. Mm. It also is kind of upsetting because like, and I don't want to read too much into it, but it almost kind of feels like this is just this is just work. Like, this is not actually what they want to do. It's just like, we're just going to try and get it out as fast. I'd rather just get it out as fast as we can so that we can take breaks. And like, you know, it's fair enough. It's very hard work to make a game. And like, I'm not going to knock that at all. And it's going to be a very massive undertaking. But it's just kind of like, why would you say that if you were really passionate about it? Yeah, because you referencing the the pit where he said, like, I want to reach the games as quickly as possible so we can take a break. Yeah, like... (laughs) Would you really say that if you were like really passionate about the game? Like, it's, it's a joke. It's so they put that laughs at the end. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's fair enough, but it just seems like they. I just don't know if their heart is in it. But it's just how do you like? I don't want to make. The, I don't want to make the comparison because they're they're very different companies, and there's a lot of stuff that people don't like about them. But like. Ubisoft, EA, Activision, could you imagine if they were working on a project like this and they had 
no idea how many parts it was going to be. They have no idea what content's going to be in each part. They have no idea when the part's going to release. Mm-hmm. Like, surely that stuff is the stuff that you plan out when you're starting to make it in the first place. Yeah. Like, because at the moment, they have no idea how long this project's going to be. So, and, and as fans, we have no idea how long this project's no. going to be. So normally it's, it's it's kind of customary for things to be trilogies on a, on a, in a console generation. Mm. And obviously that has changed slightly with longer development times. But like, you know, Uncharted 1 through 3, same console generation. Assassin's Creed 1 through 3 was also the same console generation. And, and then 4 went on to the next one. Like, but but typically the arcs kind of get finished out in that thing, in, the, in that, in that um, generation. But the 7 Remake, we have no idea. Mm. We, like if if they're saying that they can't release one every one year but they can do every two years but they don't know how many parts it's going to be it sounds like it's not going to be three it's going to be more than three mm-hmm. so that's you know eight years yeah minimum yeah yeah like this is the biggest six years <laughs> i'm getting confused now like this is the biggest thing that square enix will ever release essentially in our sort of in this decade like essentially like well, you know 16 will probably come at some point yeah but i mean like this is the this was the thing that so many people were anticipating so many people have asked for and yeah the fact that they don't have an outline just like a gauge they have I mean, a general outline a general outline and that they can't just share it like they they don't think that it's they don't know how they don't know how many parts it's gonna be. They don't know how many parts. Like it's just weird. It's just it just I don't know. It and by just saying that it's weird. just it's just hard because like obviously now the next part of speculation is so if they do a short one or if they do a long one, where are the potential cut points? Because yeah. I think everyone before was kind of okay with it being Midgar end of disc one uh obviously with the drama and that would be part two and mm. then part three would kind of be the rest of the game but like i was trying to talk to everyone on the stream about it and it's like if they're doing short parts uh kind of similar in size to the midgar segment i don't know what the cut point is anymore we because don't have any like, guidance. Next, next you've got okay so they're gonna go to calm you've got the chocobo stables you've got fort condor you've got junin like junin could be the cut point mm. But that's like nowhere near into the game. I know. Like what? Like, and then, then and then, like if it's not Junin, then they've got Gold Saucer, you've got Gungaga, um, the Coral Prison, I think, is at that point. Um, you've got uh, Nibelheim, Cosmo Canyon, Rocket Town. Like, there's not a good cut point or any of that. So then you look, then you're looking at the longer part of things because the content has to be detailed. So then maybe the next cut point is the temple of the ancients or i don't know like Like, yeah it's it's i we're lost we're lost toys is what we are We're lost i don't know where the next couple points gonna be i'm lost in the woods but i'm still like i just i am i'm i'm glued to this because it's it's kind of like a train wreck i i I just want to see how it's going to turn out because I thoroughly enjoyed the first part. Exactly. But getting involved with all the stuff they're saying, sometimes it's better to just not know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, we, f- we found this a lot with it. Like, just that. I mean, 15 was 
kind of the same with Tabata just saying stuff and we're just like, don't, just, just stop. Stop they talking. They really need media training, these guys. They really need media training. But then that, that's the thing. Like, these guys have been in the business for so long and have not really, are, are trying to adapt to a new way of promoting games that they are not necessarily yeah he's gonna tell he's gonna tell like one of the most senior guys in the company he's been doing it for like 30 years now you can't say that me i say no don't do it (sighs) but yeah no um no like obviously i don't want to i don't want to make like any sort of it's conflicting because i know i can empathize with how hard it is the position that they're in but i'm also just kind of like guys 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 why like I just want to, I just want to go in the offices and just go. Why? Just why? Yeah, because this why? this whole suite of interviews, like the all the different parts of it, has just like it's just made people really confused. Also, can I say about the fact that like we are criticizing them for not releasing the Ultimania, but we're also criticizing the content that's in the Ultimania and saying that it's really confusing. <laughs> But it may just be, I don't know if it's because the it translation, be translation is making, like, yeah. if this I is the original know. intent they were going for, I, I don't know. We want the Ultimania so that we can be officially confused instead of exactly. maybe sort of confused. Well, I guess like the Ultimania does house a load of other information outside of these mm. interviews. And they're gorgeous. And and a lot of that information as well has been confirming things that wasn't disclosed within the actual story. I was so excited when I got, like, so in the Square Enix offices, they have, of course, all of the Ultimanias. And they're all just so pretty. Like you go through them and they have such pretty artwork and just it's it's like a full on textbook. Like it's Usually not, they're like six, seven hundred pages. It's really beefy. And like you compare them to the English guidebooks and it's like not yeah. even. They're so nice. And I just want them. I just want one. There you go. That's Lauren it. wants. I want. And I get. And I sound like Veruca Salt, but I don't care. But yeah, so that's kind of our our feelings about it. Like, it's just it's a difficult situation, and mm. like, I we're gonna, obviously going to find out more as time goes on. It's just hard to sit here and just think that they don't have a plan because obviously mm. they do have a plan, but they're not conveying much confidence right now. I don't know. It's just it's, it's hard because yeah, like context is not is not the thing that we have for any of this. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. And also, like, I know that you, like, Katarzy's final comment in the interview where he was saying, and we could talk about this for like another hour probably, how they are actively paying attention to theories that are being posted by fans. Mm. And he says, that's unofficial quote, um, I think that the type of communication that exists between fans and us with these, with these theories will help us to create a story together that everyone can enjoy. Hmm. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, how, how can we leave it at that? We can. We can. No. We'll leave that as the uh as the thing that everyone else can debate upon. Because we have to call it a day now and wait until two weeks' time mm. to see what happens in those two weeks. Mm. It's gonna be a roller coaster now for the next like six to eight years, Lauren. Yeah. We've got to strap ourselves in, put on some Kevlar, and be prepared to mm-hmm. just take whatever they're throwing at us. Ali's gonna be twelve, just saying. Yep. 
she'll be able to play them all then. It'd be great. <laughs> yep. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, so the next episode of Final Fantasy Union is scheduled to come out on the 26th of May. Be sure to check out all our news coverage at FinalFantasyUnion.com where we will be posting any updates that happen. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy what we do, please be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FFKHUnion. And with that, it's time for us to say goodbye. Also, if you want to discuss anything oh, yes. about our any topics shared, join our Discord because we're awesome on Discord. If you go to the website, ffunion.com, finalfantasyunion.com, an abbreviation that doesn't actually exist. Um, yeah, there's a link to the Discord server on the right-hand side mm. at the top. Mm. So, yeah, join us. Join us. Join us. Reunion. Bye, everyone. And I'm Daryl saying goodbye. This has been a finalfantasyunion.com production. <laughs> <laughs>